so glad that you guys are back for our first episode of season two. We are so excited to get the season started. We have a lot of interesting topics and so many fun things to talk about. Yeah, I just wanted to give a short introduction on what this season will be about. Our first season was primarily mental health, but for this season, the podcast team decided on, on the important topic of environmental health. Yeah, it's really important to remember the various types of health that we need to take care of in our lives, like mental health, physical health, social health, and also environmental health, because when all of these are good, we become really happy, and that's very vital to our lives. Today, our topic will be the lack of clean drinking water in Indigenous communities, as well as highlighting the importance of education of educating yourself throughout Indigenous Heritage Month. Indigenous communities all around the world face a lot of discrimination in various ways. However, today we're going to highlight a huge form of discrimination that's so present for First Nations tribes, but not as evident for us. Yeah. And one last thing before we jump into this, I just wanted to acknowledge that as a resident of the Bay Area, California, I reside on Ohlone land. And I acknowledge that I'm living on the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations. All right, let's get started. So, as I was doing my research, I noticed a multitude of articles on the subject to be based in Canada. I have to admit, this was a bit surprising to me. I feel like a lot of people are under the impression that Canada is the most safest and, like, welcoming country. Although my perspective started to change a few years back when it comes to Canada, such as the enormous amount of Indigenous women missing in Canada, as well as the lack of media footage covering that, I think that I, as well as other people, are naive to the struggles BOC face in Canada, not just America. And that's so true, and that's why this year, a lot of people in Canada didn't celebrate Canada Day as a stand for Indigenous students, and to bring light to the dark past of residential schools that Canada has tried to hide. So just a quick trigger warning, we'll, we both will be covering some pretty dark topics about torture and trauma, so please bear that in mind before you continue to listen to the rest of the episode. So for those of you that don't know, residential schools were around in Canada, I think, as well as America since the 1800s. And the last residential school closed in Canada only about 25 years ago. So that's a very short period of time. Now, that's over 200 plus years of trauma and lost generations that Indigenous people have had to deal with. Residential schools were present in Canada as well as in America, and students there were tortured in all forms. Recently, mass graves were also discovered in these lands of the residential schools, and these really highlight the fact that the deaths reported by these schools were actually far from the truth, and all these innocent children never came back home after going to these residents after going to the residential schools. Now, there's a lot of articles online and sources that you can read more about residential schools, but just make sure that you, they aren't like biased and they're from an Indigenous people's perspective to get the real unblinking truth. Yeah, that's extremely important. Unacceptable in a country so rich was the title of the first article I read. For those of you listening that want to learn more about this crisis, I highly recommend an article titled Dozens of Can- Canada's First Nations Lack Drinking Water. I found it to be highly informational and also include pictures, which I think demonstrated the severe impact placed on Indigenous people. Yes, I actually did a project on the same article in grade seven. So I think people who are listening to this um, episode, how many people remember drinking or using a product of Nestle? So Nestle is actually a huge brand that produces many goods for consumption by the public and including their bottled water and famous iced teas and drinks. 
Well, here's the truth. Nestle actually extracts huge amounts of water from indigenous reserves without their permission and leaves the people living on these reserves without access to clean water and sanitation. Now, families living on the reserves often have to drive over 500 kilometers just to reach an area where they can fill up for water to use for the next few days, which kind of shows that reserves are not really placed very close to cities and they're very extrapolated from the society and it's really bad. Now, Nestle has also agreed with the Indigenous people to only extract a certain amount. So they had a few discussions and they've, you know, negotiated some things, but they actually extracted way more than the agreed upon amount and left reserves dry over and over and over again, despite all types of complaint from Indigenous communities. And this often leaves First Nations people begging for help on the reserves. Wow. Yeah. Curve like first, like, oh my, okay. Yeah, Curve Lake First Nation, which is a community in southern Canada, is actually almost completely surrounded by fresh water on three sides, but they aren't able to drink it safely. They depend, they depend on shipments of bottled water, and newly elected Chief Emily, aged 34, has lived her whole entire life without the guarantee of fresh and clean water. And that's the story for a lot of people living on these reserves. And because of this main fact, children living on these reserves are often deprived of daily water uses. And they're facing multiple autoimmune diseases and infections. And they're also hugely malnourished and are also 12 times more likely than non-Indigenous children to commit suicide. Yeah. One of the most impactful quotes in the article I read was, the emotional and spiritual damage of not having clean water, having to look at all the water surrounding us on a daily basis and unable to use it, is almost unquantifiable, said Chief Emily Wittenberg. I think that really points out how many people overlook the many privileges that come, come along with clean and safe water at a moment's notice. Yeah, and I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, but for Indigenous people, water and the environment is really important for their religious beliefs. And we all have our religious beliefs and values, and we all hope to follow them. But imagine from an Indigenous person's perspective, if you can't do that just because companies and the government don't care for you or for the environment. Now, across Canada and the U.S., Indigenous folk have been marginalized to live on reserves, which again are very, very far away from cities. And they're only, they're like land size, only a very small percentage of the land that their tribe originally used to own. And they're now not even able to access clean drinking water and sanitation. So that's really unfortunate that they've come to the situation. Now, if this issue was something that was facing any other community around the world, organizations would be shouting and promoting awareness about all the things we can do to help them. But right here in our cities in Canada and America, there's so many Indigenous people that are deprived of basic necessities and we don't even realize. Yeah. I mean, like, just not being able to have safe water to drink and then having to look at water surrounding them on a daily basis that is also unsafe to drink is absolutely insane. I want to share another piece of important news about them. They are suing the Canadian government for not being able to provide clean water, a human right. And actually, government officials are admitting that they have failed Indigenous tribes. Yeah, actually, over the past year, Indigenous people have really suffered through so much generational trauma. And with the discovering of the mass graves and the light that's been shed on the water issue and so many other problems that we can't even list, it's really time that both the Canadian and American government step up and fulfill their part to compensate for the Indigenous people for all that they have lost throughout the years. Yes, definitely. Like, instead of overlooking, like, the amount of pain and, like, violence it caused. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. 
A comparison the article pointed out was how although Canada is an extremely water-rich country, they've shown time and time again the lack of care they have in guaranteeing access to clean water for Indigenous communities. Water is life, said Chief Whitnum. I think that's a really important quote because it just shows how much we depend on water. And children all across the Indigenous communities have sores and skin diseases as a result of dirty and contaminated water, and others struggle with gastrointestinal disorders. The lack of clean drinking water in indigenous communities is a severe issue that has been occurring for far too long. Clean water is a human right that should not be denied. Exactly. And clean water, sanitation, food, which also actually happens to be very overpriced in reserves, with common commodities like apples and orange and other fruits costing over 40 to $50, when in cities they actually only cost like 10 or less, or they're like really, really cheap and really affordable. But in reserves, they cost a huge amount of money. And oftentimes, people can't afford proper nutrition or proper diets because of this thing. And basic respect hasn't been and still isn't being given to Indigenous communities. And it's it's well over time that they receive what they deserved as original inhabitants of our land. Yes, exactly. I want to point out some helpful organizations that you can look into to help the water crisis. Please consider donating towards Water First, an organization dedicated to addressing the water crisis in Indigenous communities. You can also find opportunities to help fundraise and volunteer there too. And that's the entire spirit of Indigenous Heritage Month because we know about a lot of icons and a lot of um, famous people and a lot of really good role models that are often white or not of, you know, not POC or not BIPOC. And that's really unfortunate because there are actually a lot of Indigenous people that are really accomplished in their lives. I know that for Indigenous Heritage Month, my school put up like a bunch of posters with um, different people in the Indigenous community that are, you know, lawyers, activists, doctors, um, musicians, and they're so accomplished. And I never even knew their names. And it's really disappointing when I see that because I can name like 10 musicians off the top of my head, but none of them are Indigenous. And that's really something to, you know, open your eyes and look around yourself that there's a lot of people out there that you don't realize that are so accomplished and they really deserve a lot more about their traditions and, you know, their background. And they should really be respected because Indigenous people were the first people that were in this land. And technically, we all are settlers. So we went in, we took our these lands and, you know, we created treaties and everything. We broke them. And there's been so much trauma for this one community itself. And it's been over, you know, 200 or 400 years that they've been facing this. And we've never actually acknowledged it properly. And so it's really important that as a community, when we're living on these lands and when we're using the resources that Indigenous communities don't have, we make sure that we kind of acknowledge that and make sure that we give them a thanks because it's all because of them that we have this. Yes, exactly. I mean, it is important like any month, but I think it's also really necessary now considering Thanksgiving is coming up. Yeah. And a lot of us do have kind of a privileged outlook on Thanksgiving and it's extremely important to like notice and educate yourselves on the violent history of Thanksgiving and the impact placed on Indigenous people. Yeah, because we identify a lot of people, you know, um, for example, we know that there's been a lot of discrimination against people of color. And we, we understand that and we see that all the time. But we never realize that, you know, these children that are from Indigenous communities, they're going through a whole different lifestyle than us. And they're so underprivileged as compared to us. And we don't realize that we're so privileged just because we came into this land as immigrants. And so they've been here for the longest time and they're still not receiving that kind of respect that they should for being original inhabitants of our land. And so it's really important that every day we acknowledge the fact that we are on this land. And I know that like a lot of schools nowadays are doing that as part of their announcements. So that's a really good step that they're taking because it's important that everyone's informed of this, right? That we are not, this is not our land, it's theirs. 
and we're just using it to, you know, expand our livelihoods and, you know, just have a life. And so I feel like Indigenous Heritage Month is a really, um, you know, undervalued time where everyone should really give the thanks. Yes, exactly. And even now, there are still so much violence and, like, absolutely horrible laws and restrictions placed on Indigenous people. And I know that, like, many schools still have, like, the same curriculum as, like, past curriculums, like, past, like, very, like, outdated curriculums that have, like, a very, very misguided view on how Thanksgiving came to be and how, like, Christopher Columbus, for example, came to America. And I think it is up to all of us to educate ourselves on what land we reside in sorry what land we reside in and how we came onto this land as well as the violence that our like our ancestors have inflicted on indigenous people yeah and that's a really good point because I know that when I learned about like we first got introduced about um indigenous heritage in like grade four and most of it was just about the ways that settlers came in and took their land it was not really about you know like what they faced like what the indigenous community faced when settlers came in and took their land and so oftentimes when you're like talking about the topic now we still don't talk about from an indigenous people's perspective like what they face it's just that what happened and it's sort of an overview of the facts when really we should be talking about their perspectives and their um you know experiences and we should be focusing more on their perspective because those are they're the ones who suffered throughout this entire experience like we didn't we didn't have any um trauma we didn't have any problems because we just came in and took the land when they're the ones who had to change their entire lifestyles they had so many restrictions put on them and honestly like you said um in the beginning so many indigenous people and women are going missing right now and you know the government is doing nothing especially on reserves the police is not taking it seriously and I know that there, there was one case where a girl went missing and um, the government, I mean, um, they, like, the police of that area, they just said that, oh, yeah, you know, maybe she just ran away or something because that totally happens. Apparently, it's very normal for people to run away. And they didn't take it very seriously. And apparently, she got brutally murdered and she was somewhere. And her family didn't know about that for about a year or two after the incident. And it's just really eye-opening because we expect police and the government to take care of us as citizens of this country. And so we would expect that, you know, indigenous people being here for such a long time to have the same kind of treatment, but it's really unfortunate that they're not getting that. Yeah, that's absolutely horrifying. There's like basically little to none media coverage on the missing indigenous people and well, like more extremely the missing indigenous woman's case. And I think that some of us might know about the Gabby, trio i hope it's yeah. the last name um like case right and obviously what happened to her is like horrifying and like very saddening but i would like to highlight that there are a gazillion like even more i mean more than a gazillion indigenous and there are no media coverage and definitely none as extreme as the coverage on the gabby case Exactly. And honestly, um, during the stance that, you know, they're not going to partake in like or like celebrate um, Canada Day was so like it makes sense. Right. Obviously, they wouldn't yeah, want yeah. to celebrate a country that did so many wrong things to them and they refuse to take any sort of responsibility. And then yet there were so many people that are like, you know what, you should be thankful because we're living in Canada. We're at least we're not a war stricken country. And then it's sad that they don't realize that a few hundred years ago or at least even 25 years ago. Technically, there was an ongoing genocide against this entire community and no one knew like people are going through their normal lives while these 
um, indigenous kids were dying at these residential schools. And we still, you know, some people still have the audacity to think that it's, you know, kind of selfish on the indigenous community side to not celebrate Canada Day. And it's honestly just horrifying that they said that. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people have, like, such a privileged outlook on Canada and America as being, like, the land of, like, the free or, like, you Mm -hmm. know, like, very good, like, country. Always, like, such, like, violent and very, like, harmful, like, past, like, to these, like, countries and, like, very, like, violent history. And I think it is up to all of us to educate ourselves. I think someone's, like, whistling to their dog outside. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) like educate ourselves on this history and to acknowledge that you died on native american lands yeah and we learn about so many charters and acts and treaties and everything from like history and we only think about like the white people's perspective right they they Mm -hmm. organize this and this is what you know the effect that settlers have on it but we never realized that a lot of these rules didn't apply to um indigenous people i know that for example um a first nations women who married a settler, she would lose her First Nation status and she would no longer be considered um, First Nation just because she decided to marry in, um, a settler. And that was so you know, discriminatory, not just to, because she's a woman, but because that was the thought on like First Nations and then they're like a breed, they're not really human, they're savages. There were so many slurs and racial um, violences that were done against them just because of their you know, status. And they weren't allowed to vote for a long time. And they had to like, give up so many things just to join the war and it was overall such a big oppressive system against them and we really don't see that because behind every treaty we think of how it affects us and how it has affected us but not really what went behind in it and what was the thought on like how to oppress the indigenous people to the extent that they could and it's just really disappointing that that kind of history is not taught to children when they're young and Canadian citizens they grew up to think and even American citizens they grew up to think that you know our countries are like well, they're fine now all indigenous people all our relations are fine when really nothing has changed yeah exactly like like you said the white perspective is like a very dominant perspective it's like that is very like influential history books as some of us might have noticed like I was um doing a project on the trail of tears like a while back mm-hmm. And it was very, very white dominated. Like there were like little to none like indigenous perspectives on this, even though this was such a harmful act on indigenous communities. Right. And that's really unfortunate too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I feel like that's good. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or like? No, I think it's really good now. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. So I'll do our conclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all from us today, guys. Thank you so much for joining. We really appreciate you guys staying with us so far, and we really hope that from today's episode, you learn a little bit more about the privileges that we have as settlers on this land and why Indigenous Heritage Month is so important to consider. Mm-hmm. I strongly encourage you guys to check out Water First, as well as read a book by an Indigenous author, such as The Narrow Thieves by Sherry Dimeline, or educate yourself on the land you live on. And not just this month, but every month, it is important to recognize and honor Indigenous people. That's all from us today. Thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye! Bye.